The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon everybody. It's uh, the 25th of January 2016 and this is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier. I want to welcome you all back to our next episode of One Hour at a Time. And I'm really excited that uh, we have a guest today who's going to be talking about an issue that's really uh, an important one for anybody who has, uh, who has children out there in the world, uh, and particularly in today's environment. Uh, the title of our show today is called Got a Minute? Preventing Adolescent Substance Abuse. And our guest today is Jan Carnes, who's the Director of Prevention Services at the Hanley Center Foundation in Florida. Uh, and Jan comes to us as a certified uh, prevention professional, and she plays a key role in educating families on the disease of addiction and the critical role that parents play in prevention. Jan has a passion for parenting and has successfully implemented prevention and education strategies. As a renowned parent educator and motivational speaker, she's positively impacted the lives of parents and their children for the past 25 years. Jan, I want to welcome you to the show today, and thank you for, uh, for agreeing to come on and share your experience and knowledge with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Great. So um, I think this is, this is really a topic that uh, really has a, you know, it's something that's on people's minds regularly as parents. Um, you know, it, you can't pick up a newspaper or, uh, you know, get online today without seeing an article about uh, the prevalence of drugs in our schools, prevalence of drugs in our communities, uh, the, the incredibly young age at which people are starting to experiment with alcohol, with marijuana, with club drugs, designer drugs. And I think every parent out there wants to know, you know, that their child is going to be safe. But, you know, there's, there are a lot of influences to keeping our children safe, and, and particularly when it comes to substance use, um, you know, there are things that, that people need to be aware of. So thanks again for, for coming on and, and uh, you know, our, our audience I know is really looking for information on how they can help um, prevent substance abuse in their, their adolescent population. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so glad you started the way you did about the, uh, about the influences because I think what parents uh, don't, don't know or don't remember is that they are the most influential people in their children's lives when it comes to decisions of where they're going to go to college or if they're going to go to college or if they're going to use alcohol or drugs. Now, they may not be the most influential person as to how they're going to wear their hair or what kind of clothes they're going to wear, but parents should not give up on the fact that they still have the most influence on their children when it comes to serious subjects. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I, I, that's a great point, Jen, and I think, um, I think it, it's somewhat uh, a surprise for folks to hear that in some ways because it, particularly with, you know, um, teenagers, you know, we, sometimes we feel like, 
hey, there's there's very little I can do to have an impact here. You know, everything. If I say, you know, if I say black, my my child says white. If I say stay, they say go. Um, and that's that's sort of a hallmark of that time period in life, isn't it? Well, you're right. It is true. But now we have to remember that that teenagers have to rebel against their family. You know, it's part of what they have to do in order to be able to separate their family and really be successful in their life. But we cannot give up on the fact that we still have that ability to influence them. Remember, we don't have control because we don't have control over anyone. But we do have the ability to influence them, and we can't give up on that. And, you know, adolescents will, will pound the wall, pound the wall, pound the wall. They'll try to get over and through and under. They'll try to get anything they want in any way they want. But what they're really wanting to know is where is the limit? Where, where is the limit that my parents are going to you know, make stand for me? Because that's what gives them their security, to know that there is a safe place there that they can always count on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, backing up a little bit, Jan, this is obviously an area where you have a lot of, a lot of passion, and, and um, I know our audience would be really interested in hearing a little bit about how you got into this, this field and, uh, you know, what influences have really made a difference for you. Well, I'm the mother of three boys, and uh, we had a daughter also, and, it, and she passed away. And that really, um, she was just an infant at the time, but it was still a very, uh, the most difficult thing that my family had ever experienced. And so it really brought home the fact that we have, we don't know how much time we have with our children. And this is the thing that I think is so important for parents to remember, that no one loves their children more than you do as a parent. No one. But do our children really know that and understand that? You know, kind of another way I like to put it is, if you as a parent are not in your child's corner, who is? So throughout my life, um, I've been involved with a, with a lot of different parenting, um, parenting things, and, and I actually came to this career by being invited to uh, implement a parenting program with Hanley Center Foundation um, 18 years ago. You know, they really saw the opportunity that we should be trying to make a difference in the community in the realm of prevention. You know, how can we prevent substance abuse? Because we know for a fact that 80% of adults that are in treatment today, so 80% of adults in treatment today, had their first experience with alcohol and or marijuana when they were adolescents. So how do we as a community, as parents, as grandparents, aunts and uncles, how do we make a difference in what's going on with our kids today? And that's what prevention is really really all about. So I, I just saw, wow, what an awesome opportunity to really make a difference in the community with parents. Well, that's a staggering statistic, 80%, you know, saying that they, they started at a, you know, their, their journey with substance abuse started when they were in an uh, adolescent age. Exactly. And what we know, and I think what a, what a lot of parents are still um, not quite understanding is that you know, back in the day, if you will, more than 10 years ago, we didn't have the research that we have today on the brain and the effects that alcohol and drug, drugs have on the brain. So, you know, a lot of parents will say, well, you know, I drank when I was a kid, and look at me, I'm okay. And okay, for some people that may be true. But yet today, with knowing what we know about how alcohol and drugs affects the adolescent brain, then we're even more, it's even more important that we as parents try to help children avoid those, 
those things. I mean, if parents really understood the damage that can be done to the adolescent brain, I think they'd be more, um, more clear on how they want to make sure that their kids aren't using. You know, right. a lot of parents say, well, I'm going to have my kids use at home with me. But what we know about those kids, the, the kids that use at home with their parents are more likely to use more alcohol or drugs when they're away from their parents. And mm-hmm. within two years, those children can have a lot of issues. So we really want to get the message to parents to you know, stay the course. The, the legal drinking age in the United States is 21, and that's for a reason. So let's keep our kids drug and alcohol free. Well, and I think, you know, you make such a, uh, a really great point about the brain and development and how much more we understand now and, you know, than, than we did about the brain and its development, like you said, even 20 years ago. And, um, uh, but we also understand a little bit more about, you know, for instance, with different substances, you know, we're, we're not talking about, you know, for people who are using marijuana, you know, this is not your father's marijuana, you know, from when, when they were kids, right? I mean, I had a, we had a guest on the show uh, a couple of months back talking about the unbiased truth about marijuana, and, you know, the, the concentrations of THC are much higher now, um, and, you know, so the, the risk factors uh, or the risk of, of damage to the brain uh, in a developing brain are even higher now than they were. Absolutely. You're right. And we know that the, the adolescent brain between the ages of 11 and 14, it, uh, there's more gray matter that's created during that time period than any other time since their infancy. And beyond that point, they will start to lose that, that gray matter. It's a use it or lose it kind of thing. So those right. are critical times when we don't want anything, I mean anything that's going to really affect the brain. You know, not a prescription if we can avoid it. We want to do what we can to protect the most important thing we have in our, in our body, and that's our brain. Right. Right. Can you say more about, about uh, your comment earlier about, you know, when, parent, when kids use at home with their parents, they're more likely to use more alcohol later on? That's do we have, right. Do we understand how that, you know, what influences that? Well, you know, it's the kind of thing where, okay, well, it's okay for me to use at home. And, you know, parents give the, I'm sure that they give the message. I mean, I'm sure they give the message that says, well, we're going to allow you to use at home because we want you to have the experience of alcohol when we're here to supervise and make sure you're okay and you're safe. But that's a real mixed message because either it's okay to use alcohol or it's not okay to use alcohol. So the kids who, whose frontal brain is, uh, frontal lobe of their brain is not developed whose decision-making processes and the ability to understand consequences is not fully developed, they don't get that message clearly. They get the message that, oh, it's okay to use at home, therefore it's okay to use anywhere I want to use. And the more an adolescent uses, the quicker, of course, an addiction can be developed. Again, because the brain's not fully developed, addiction in an adolescent can develop much quicker than an addiction in an adult. But we know by delaying that first use of alcohol until the age of 21 reduces the likelihood of addiction substantially. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, people in recovery, so the, the percentage is, is really high. It's 65% of people in recovery said they had their first experience with alcohol before the age of 12. Wow. And then it drops to around 45% at the age of 14, and at the age of 18, it's like 27%. But the, at the age of 21, it's 10%, and at 31, it's 10%, and 41, is 10%. So this it's is one of the reasons. It's remarkable, isn't 
It is. And this is one of the reasons why the legal drinking age is 21. And it needs to remain there. You know, if you think about it, when, you're, when the insurance rates go down, because this is something parents understand. So you know how high insurance rates are for, for kids that drive. But right. generally, girls' insurance rates drop around the age of 21. But boys don't. When do boys' insurance rate drop? 26, 25. Exactly. Yeah. Why is that? Because the frontal lobe of the brain is not fully developed. And they know, right. the insurance companies know, especially in boys, that it is delayed even longer. Right. So certainly we don't want to add alcohol to, um, to an adolescent brain. It's, it's just right. really critical. Yeah. Well, it's been a while since I've been an adolescent, but I can tell, I, I do recall that I did know everything when I was an adolescent. So, um, <laughs> but, 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 but in all seriousness, you know, the, um, the point I think that you're really making here that parents need to understand is you're, you're an adolescent brain inside an adolescent body that, you know, where the, the person's height and weight, and, you know, maybe very adult, their brain is still forming and it's still trying to figure things out. And it's, and it's subject to all kinds of natural influences, you know, without the impact of, of alcohol or drugs. And, um, and those alone, you know, make it, make it difficult for adolescents to make good decisions and to, and to reduce their impulsivity. So, um, you know, there's, so I think your point about you know holding off and really uh, really respecting the the uh, the legal drinking age and why it's there is really a critical point. So we're we're going to cut to break here for just a couple minutes. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about prevention of substance abuse among adolescents. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And today we're speaking with Jan Carnes, who is a certified prevention professional. And uh, Jan and I are talking about um, how we, you know, uh, how we understand and help uh, adolescents, um, you know, essentially uh, prevent them from uh, starting on the journey down the road of substance abuse. And um, you know, just before the break, we were talking about the developing brain and helping uh, helping young people understand. And helping parents understand the you know the serious impact that uh, that substances have on a, on a brain that's not quite fully developed. So uh, again, Jan, thank you for for being here today. And um, you know one of the things that you and I were talking about the break is one of the programs that you're running now um, that uh, that helps to provide some information to folks. Yes, we we are at school based and we are community based. So we are in 14 different counties around the state of Florida implementing a program called Alcohol Literacy Challenge with middle and high school students. And the program basically really it challenges the students' expectancies for alcohol. So if you ask students what do they think will happen if they drink alcohol, they'll give you a range of things. But the range of things they talk about are basically things that really have nothing to do with what alcohol actually does to the body. So they'll say, oh, well, it makes me dance, it makes me feel happy, it makes me laugh. Um, and, and so we talk to them about, once we identify what they're thinking that alcohol does do, we talk to them about the fact that it's the thinking, not the drinking, that makes those things happen. And we actually challenge the students to be aware of that. And then we show them um, a lot of commercials, we show them how that they get sold alcohol. They get encouraged to um, really use alcohol. And the kids, the beautiful thing about this particular program, which is a model program, which means that the program has been researched and has been proven to be effective. Mm -hmm. It's a program developed by um, a Dr. Peter DiBenedictus out of New Mexico. So our dollars are spent knowing that what we're doing in the classroom has an impact. Mm-hmm. So with the kids, once they, they see this, it's like a light bulb that goes off. It's quite amazing. So take us through what, what that would look like if I were, you know, if I were a high school student today, uh, you know, having this, uh, this information. Well, once we, we, we start off with this great um, commercial, it's, it's just a, it's a verbal commercial, like a radio spot. And you, so you know how drug companies uh, sell their their, their wares on television, and at the end they have this long disclaimer. Yeah. So this, this commercial is a long disclaimer, but it talks about tequila, yes, tequila. And, and then it goes into the disclaimer, which tequila can make you take your clothes off when you didn't want to. Tequila can make you um, have unwanted um, sex. Tequila can make you uh, be... Uh, 
act foolish. Uh, and it goes through this whole list, and it's really upbeat. It's, it's hysterical. It really is funny. In fact, a lot of times we have to play it a couple of times because the kids are laughing so hard that they don't get to hear the whole thing. And it's, right. it's really kind of, a, kind of a bombshell that you start off right with this, right with this program, right with that particular ad. And that's when we start asking them, you know, tell us what you think happens when people drink alcohol. And then, again, they'll say things like, oh, it makes me happy. It makes me dance. It makes me uh, feel good. And they, they list these things. They very rarely list things like, oh, it makes me sick. It makes me tired. It, um, it makes me uh, sleepy. They don't necessarily get into that side of it. No. But then we go through and show them that these things can happen the, the good side of what they're seeing, what they think happens when people drink, are all things that happen in their mind. So in other words, I can, I can decide to be happy, and I can, I can make myself feel happy without ever having a drink. So we want them to get the message that, hey, you know, um, how many drinks does it take to get drunk? Zero. Zero. I can have a good time and never have to have a drink because these things are really not affected by alcohol. These things don't happen because I have alcohol. And so that part of it, then they start to get, and they're thinking about it a little bit. And then as we start to show them um, television commercials that, that show how they get sold alcohol, you know, it's, it's quite amazing the, um, the millions of dollars of, of advertising for alcohol and how it's really, um, you know, we believe really directed towards young people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that's a whole, a whole other ballgame. But we really try to teach them to be savvy when they're, when they're seeing an advertisement, to be able to break that down and see what it's really saying. And, and there's one about um, a plane crash. So a plane okay. crashes on a remote island, and there's all the people on the plane, and this one lady's trying to, um, trying to get the radio to work, and somebody else on the, uh, from the plane finds the beverage cart and screams out loud, there's beer here, and everybody runs away from the radio and goes to the beer. And the message right. is, oh, everything's going to be all right now. We have beer. Right, right. Which is completely ridiculous. I mean, absolutely, absolutely, completely ridiculous. So when we show this to the kids, again, they get it. And then we, we go through ads for it, and we have them actually break the ads down so that they can see what's happening. And it's, it's really um, quite, quite impactful. Right. Well, the nice, you know, I would imagine, too, that doing this in groups is you're, you're also challenging sort of the group mentality about, you know, uh, one or two people doing it, therefore it must be fine for all of us. You know, but you know when you have a you know, larger group of folks that are saying, "No, pull pull back this way," you know, um, you don't need that to have a good time. You know, that that can have a good influence. Oh my gosh, you are so right. This is this is so great. I love this this part right here because, you know, people say to me, I'll say to people, well, how many how many uh, people do you think? How many students do you think in Palm Beach County? So Palm Beach County is in West Palm Beach. That's where Hanley yeah. Center Foundation is located. So I say, how many students do you think in Palm Beach County drink alcohol? And I get adults saying to me, um, seventy five, eighty percent of kids drink alcohol. High school kids. This is what adults think. So then when I tell them that 75% of students in Palm Beach County do not drink alcohol, they have a hard time believing me. Right. So the students have the same thing. You know, our real campaign as far as media goes 
is getting the message out there that the majority of kids don't drink. And one thing that's so powerful about this, if you think back to, uh, well, think back to cigarettes or or wearing seatbelts. There was a time when none of us wore seatbelts. And there was a time when people who smoked cigarettes had all the rights. A person who didn't smoke didn't have a right to say anything. Right. They just dealt with it. I mean, people smoked on planes. I mean, for goodness sakes. So today you've seen that shift occur, right? The shift that says the people who don't smoke, the majority of the people are in the right. And they don't have to put up with people that smoke in restaurants or planes or anything like that. And this is exactly the message, the shift that we have to get across to our adolescents. Most people don't drink. Most adolescents don't drink, and there's the message for them. So that the people who aren't drinking, the kids who aren't drinking, are the ones in the power, in the majority. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, and you're you know, you're then sort of really re- you're using a developmentally appropriate dynamic, which is the power of the group, especially in that age. Absolutely. To to promote healthy behavior as opposed to just going with the assumption that everybody's drinking. Yeah, absolutely. So, so just try to you know keep it safe. Exactly, and that's and it gives and it gives the kids power to be able to say, well, once yeah. they know that the majority of the kids don't drink, because this yeah. is a shift also within the kids themselves. Because if you ask them, they will tell you that a, a lot. They believe a lot more people drink than don't drink. Right. So right. it's a continual message that we get across to kids that say, hey, most most people don't drink. It's right. not a big deal. Most people right. don't drink. And, you know, I, it's really interesting, though, that that, that perception exists that, that most people do. And, you know, I don't know if it's just because of a shift in the times and, you know, so much effort has been put into prevention and, you know, uh, proliferation of other activities for kids, um, you know, really kind of making it so that there's less downtime and less access um, you know, or less, less need because they're, they're in groups that they feel, you know, are a good match for them. I mean, there's certainly, uh, there's probably a number of influences to look at that say, you know, this, is, this may be different than it was 30 years ago. Um, but this, this percentage of people that do drink, you know, when they're in, in, in that age group, maybe a lot less now than it was 30 years ago. Right. But you, and you, but you also see, I'll tell you this, that you, you also see that um, kids are, okay, how do you say this? Um, pay, uh, Kids don't get their alcohol. Okay, middle school kids don't get their alcohol with fake IDs. <laughs> right. Okay? Where yeah. do they get their alcohol? From mom and dad. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the more and more we, edu- we educate parents about where kids get their alcohol, the yeah. more diligent parents are or should be, and this is certainly a message to the listeners today. You know, I, want, I once met this man who lived in this gorgeous home, and, and we, we got to talking, and, and uh, he said, uh, well, where do kids get their alcohol? And I said, well, they get it from home. And I said, you know, how many bars do you have in your house? And he took a minute, and he said, I have five, five bars in my house. Right. Who stocks those bars? And he said, well, I have staff, and the staff stock the bars. And I said, okay, so where do you think kids get alcohol? And he just like, I mean, like literally, like his, he, he just said, I have to go, I have to leave, I have to go home. Completely freaked out because it never crossed his mind. Wow. And he was probably supplying alcohol to his kids and all their friends right. because he didn't know. Right. And so and that's, just... our, that's our message today is for parents to know and understand 
Yeah. You know, when a, here's the thing. If you think about this, and you, you know, if you think back to your teenage years, but let's just say that there's six kids and they're out in a the field somewhere and someone produces a six-pack of beer. Yep. Now, what are the chances that you're not going to have one of those beers? Well, here's the thing that happens. And if, if you think back to maybe your first experience with this and you think, okay, you're standing in the field, there's six beers, there's six people, and your eyes are like a slot machine. Your brain is going in circles. And what it's trying to do is come up with all the information you know about what's about to happen. And truly, if there's not a clear message there from your parents that there's an expectation that you will not do this, you're, you're, you're not going to have a hope. You're probably going to drink that beer. Right. And that's so right. that's where parents, you know, parents have to talk to their kids. You know, they may not know what to say. They may not know how to say it. It doesn't matter. If they just say something, it's important. Right. Well, and I think, you, you know, you make a great point, which you bet, you know, is that the more explicit parents, it sounds like the more explicit the parents can be about, about those expectations and even talking through some of those the potential scenarios, maybe based on their own experience, you know, from their own adolescent years, but, you know, knowing kids the way they know their kids, you know, they can, they can direct that message in a way that really, that really comes home for, for their adolescent child. So, um, again, it's a great segment, Jan, and uh, when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how we can, how we can continue to, to support parents in their messaging and, uh, and different strategies that will help them prevent substance abuse in their adolescent ch- children. Again, we'll be back in just a few minutes after the break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time, everyone. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today, and we're speaking with Jan Carnes, who is, sort of, is a certified prevention professional, and we're talking about uh, preventing adolescent substance abuse. And I know there's, uh, you know, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, uh, concerned neighbor, teacher, counselor, uh, anybody who's got a relationship with somebody who's an adolescent. I know that this is a topic that really that concerns all of us. Uh, you know, we want our young people to grow up healthy, uh, to be able to be safe, and uh, and really to uh, avoid the you know the pitfalls of uh, getting into substance abuse early while the brain is developing. And so our show today is really dedicated to helping people understand how what they can do to to prevent substance abuse in adolescents. So um, you know, Jan, one of the things I think is really um, has really come to light for me and, and uh, you know, in my work and also, uh, you know, just as a member of my community is that the role of uh, schools has really shifted in the past couple of generations. And I think that there's a really high expectation among parents, uh, particularly, you know, in maybe in families where both parents are working to make ends meet and their children are spending more and more time at school because they're there for a preschool or an after-school program. Uh, you know, the expectation upon schools uh, to, to help shape um, behavior and to, and to help provide more, more guidance in terms of um, life skills and, and decision-making outside of their academics, you know, I think that's really shifted in the past couple of generations. And I, I just wonder if that's something that you run across sometimes in your prevention work um, that, you know, either helps or hinders the process of, of parents becoming more empowered to help prevent substance abuse in their children. Right. You know, it is a kind of an interesting shift that occurred where I know when I was growing up, and I'm probably you too, if I did something wrong at school, whatever happened to me at school, when I came home, I got twice that. Um, mm-hmm. Because it didn't matter what I said. If the teacher said this was the way it was, it was the way it was. There was no one questioned the teacher. And, you know, and I, and I think there has to be a balance on that because what's happened is we've shifted now to this, to this way that whatever the kid says is 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 right, and the and the teachers barely get a chance to really um, express what's going on because the parents are so protective or overprotective with the kids, and and there is a lot of expectations on the schools um, because, for the parents. To, uh, the parents believe that the school should be educating the kids, but in reality, these these decisions and these things that go on again. What I said at the very beginning, as parents, we cannot give up our power. We cannot give up our influence because we are the most important influence with our children. So we don't want to really um, relegate that to the school. And yeah, being a parent's hard. It's hard work. It's right. uh, we have so many responsibilities to teach our children. But listen, nobody cares more about your kids than you do. So who do you want teaching them? You want you to be the one teaching them. Mm-hmm. So parents, we really have to get out of the, the, the helicopter mentality. We have to get down to helping children accept that they've, that they've done something wrong or accept that they've made a mistake. But the same is true as parents. 
So here's one of my big things with parents. When I, I teach parenting classes, which I love, and this is one of the first things I want them to learn. The first thing you as a parent have to do is learn to forgive yourself because you're going to mess it up, right? There's just no yep. way to be. There is no perfect parent. Right. I love we have an article on our Facebook page, which is Hanley Center Foundation's fake Facebook page, and it's, it's about C-minus parents. And I just love the whole concept because, uh-huh. you know, as parents, we're going to have A moments and we're going to have F moments, but ultimately, if we end up around a C-minus, we're happy. <laughs> right? right. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And so, yeah, okay, yeah. today we messed up because we blamed it all on the teacher. Yeah. Hey, you know what? There's... There's more involved than just a teacher. You know, remember, there's two sides to every story, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Right. And so as parents who really want to support our teachers and our schools, we have to learn to take responsibility, and we have to learn to teach our children. It, it's our responsibility to teach our, our children uh, their moral and their, you know, their really their ethical uh, guidelines. It's not up to the teacher. The teacher's going to teach them math, and the teacher's going to teach them spelling, but hey, we as parents, we don't want to give away that responsibility. Right. Well, and I think there's a, there's a, a real role for looking at, uh, you know, as a parent, looking at what do I do versus what do I say, right? And, um, you know, so if I'm trying to help my children, you know, learn how to cope with life without using substances, that's something I have to model. Right, and that's you know they're not they're not going to get that in school. That is very true. Now there is definitely some research out there that talks about modeling appropriate drinking behavior okay. could be a protector. So let me explain that. When when we had three teenage boys and my husband and I, the family, we were we were going to go out to dinner. Intuitively, one of us, my husband or I, would say, "Hey, I'd really like to have a, you know a drink tonight at dinner," and then the other one would say, "Well, I'll drive." Because my husband and I made this agreement that we would never both have a drink and then one of us drive. Right. We just made this commitment. It was just not, it was just, it's not important. It wasn't that necessary. So right. every time we went to dinner, if one of us wanted, if one of us in particular wanted to have a drink, we would say so in the car. We didn't turn around to the kids and say, now we're going to talk about whether we're going to have a drink tonight and who's going to drive. We would just simply say, hey, I'd like to have a drink. And the other one would say, I'm going to drive. Yep. And so the, the point of this is that what, what we know about our adolescents and drinking to, behaviors today is that there's a problem with binge drinking, which is basically five or more drinks in a sitting. Right. So how do we shift that? And that is modeling appropriate behavior as a parent. So if I want to have a glass of wine at dinner, I should have a glass of wine at dinner. Now, the glass of wine is a measured glass of wine, not the whole bottle, mm-hmm. right? Right. And there, and there is your modeling appropriate behavior. It says, if I'm going to have a glass of wine, that means that it's a measured amount, it's the appropriate amount as one drink. So that's the message that's going across by clearly saying, I am going to have a glass of wine, a, a measured pour, and that's all I'm going to have, is a whole different scenario then I'm going to put the bottle on the table next to my dinner plate and I'm going to drink the whole thing. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that, that brings me to another question, which is, you know, how do we shift the prevention effort when there's, uh, you, know, um, you know, when we are 
working with somebody where there's an identified pattern of, of the disease of alcoholism in a family, you know, and, and how does that look different uh, to, you know, to addressing uh, parents and, and adolescents in that situation. True. And, you know, the thing is with that is that this has to be an open and honest conversation. You know, mm-hmm. it has to be because we know that if, if anyone in the family has an addiction, that your child is at higher risk for an addiction. Right. So if your brother, uncle, um, son, cousin, grandfather, whoever has an addiction, then your child is at higher risk. So how do we reduce right. that risk? We reduce the risk by having the conversation. And the conversation gets had early, often, and is age-appropriate. It's not like this big deal. We're going to sit down one time at the table. We're going to have this conversation, and we're never going to discuss it again. Right. Did your mother say to you, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times? <laughs> right? <laughs> if, I, if I had a dime for every time, you know, I heard that phrase. Exactly. <laughs> right? I think that's true for most of us. Right. And, you know. see, and, that, and that's on everyday things. It, it's no right. different. The, the conversation is no different when we're talking about drugs and alcohol. Early, that's often, right. and age appropriate. You know, it's yeah. something that we continually talk about. We can't, um, we can't miss those opportunities. Now, there are going to be times when that person is going to be with us. That person may or may not be sober. Um, but it doesn't matter. The conversation needs to be had because one of the things we know that occurs today is that we totally, um, we totally hide addiction. We still are not really out of the closet with addiction. You know, it's still got its, um, its you know, shame associated with it and, and you know, people's uh, saying it's willpower. I mean, there's so many negatives associated with people saying, hey, I, you know, I have an addiction and, you know, let's talk about it. So we, we really, as a, as a society, I think moving more and more towards being open about addiction and mental, you know, mental health, mental illnesses, because really that's, that's, where, that's where it's got to be, because without that piece, you know, kids are very intuitive, and they know when something's wrong. And when you're giving them BS, they know it. Right. You know, it's just like you can't lie to your kids. If you say to your kids, you know, if you drink alcohol, you're going to get sick and puke your brains out. And then the first time they experience alcohol, if they don't get sick and puke their brains out, everything you've ever told them was a lie. Right. We have to be honest. You know, we we also work with uh, with student athletes, and we talk about steroids. And we talk about the fact that, hey, you know what? Steroids work. They do. But we're going to teach you how to achieve your athletic goals without needing steroids. Right. Well, you know, that's a really important point, Jan, I mean, because I think there's, um, there's a lot to be said for just, just having accurate facts, but then, but then offering the alternative, right? And, you know, when you talk about having age-appropriate information and, and realistic information, you know, that's the stuff that people can really hold on to and say, yeah, there's, okay, I see the evidence of that. There's nothing to dispute it. As opposed to you know, kind of what you're saying, if you if you try to over dramatize it or um, you, you try to uh, you know blow it out to, to something that there might be some extreme, uh, kids see right through that. Exactly. And it's the same. It's the same with just you know having uh, delivering appropriate consequences for behaviors that you're trying to discourage in the home. You know whether it's uh, you know failing to do homework or you know uh, getting into an argument with a sibling. You know. It, to say, you know, you're going to go to your room forever is not realistic, and kids know that. They know you're upset, you know, but they also know there's no way you can deliver on that threat. Right. And, and, so, and so having that, that connection that says, okay, you know, here's the reality, 
and you know here's the alternative um, and helping helping young people be able to make a choice that's really consistent with you know what they want to get out of something uh, you know that's healthier I think is really it's a great approach we're going to um, head into our, uh, our third commercial break here and when we come back uh, we're going to turn the conversation to you know a little bit more on what parents can be doing uh, really concretely uh, to help prevent substance abuse in their adolescent children so thanks again we'll be back right after the break Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And welcome back, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and you're listening to One Hour at a Time. Our guest today is Jan Carnes, who is a certified prevention professional, and we've been talking about how to prevent adolescent substance abuse. And Jan, you know, um, you know, I think what's really uh, we've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked a lot about adolescence itself, and uh, what are some of the influences on on young people, and um, you know, sort of the uh, you know the approach of, of really trying to provide education and uh, awareness at, at an age appropriate level. And, you know, in the home, you know, parents, I think a lot of times feel like they need to have some concrete uh, skills or, or concrete tools to use with their children, um, particularly with, you know, with adolescents when a lot of, a lot of times conversations can 
um, become emotional quickly or, you know, because there's just so much going on in the adolescent brain, right? So um, maybe you can t- kind of take us down the path a little bit uh, you know, to help our, the parents that are listening out there or to help those who are out there to help parents uh, have some, some tools to use uh, to prevent substance abuse. Well, I will tell you the most important thing that a family can do is have family meals. That's where you, you really just sit down at the table, you have a meal, you don't talk about whether someone got a bad grade or not, you turn off the cell phones, you don't answer the regular phone, you have the television off, you really just sit down at the table and enjoy each other, have some fun. You know, sometimes we just get so serious and so tied up in parenting that, you know, we forget about having fun. And for, for children and for adults, too, you know, we need joy in our lives. So family meals would be the number one most important thing a family could do. I like mm-hmm. to say it this way. If you're not having any family meals right now, don't jump off the bridge. Just try to have one. This week, try to have one family meal. And try to really focus on that to build that into having around seven family meals a week. That would be the most important thing that a family could do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a family point of view. You know, one of the things we at Hanley Center Foundation do, you know, our big fundraiser is coming up on February 6th, and we do a family picnic because, again, we're trying to model what we believe and what we know is important for our, for our supporters. So mm-hmm. we have a big event every year where we have a family meal together, again, to let people know and promote the fact that that's the number one most important thing a family can do. Now, on the, um, on the smaller scale of that, I like to say this to parents. So let's, let's say about you, Jonathan. You work with Matt. So let's yep. say that Matt, Matt is acting inappropriately or he's angry or he's not getting his job done. Do you scream at him and tell him to go to his room and don't come out until he changes his attitude? Well, I would hope I wouldn't, but, you know, I might. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, the thing I want you to take home is I want every parent listening to realize that most of us work in a, in a, in a community with other people. We work at a business with other people. And right. if we could just take some of the skills that we use during the day and take those skills home and use them with our kids... So in other words, if we have someone that works for us or with us that's not getting their job done, we're unlikely to to slam their door and tell them to stay in their room until they change their attitude. We're more likely to have a conversation with them about how you can help them and how they can achieve their goal and and what you're trying to do. And you're going to be as calm as you can be because you're a professional. That's the goal, right? That's right. We need to take that same message home. Because we don't. We say some of the craziest things to our kids, just what you said earlier. I once told my five-year-old he'd never watch television again for as long as he lived. Right. (laughs) I had to come back and say, I'm sorry. You know, I really blew that. But in all honesty, we have to respect our children in order to get their respect. So you think about that when you go home tonight and your child has done something or not done something and you're upset with them. I want you to see that stop sign, and I want you to think about how you might phrase this conversation if you were talking to a coworker. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really different perspective, I think, for people, right? I mean, it, and maybe it's just a, that misperception that, okay, if I'm talking to adults, I have to talk one way, but if I'm talking to my children, you know, there's a different tone I have to take. Or maybe the, the level of... Uh, maybe I feel more restricted when I'm talking to adults, but I can be myself when I'm talking with my kids. 
Right, exactly. But if you if you think about this, if you think about the fact that if you ever heard your child say something, you're like, where did they learn that from? And then suddenly yeah. you realize they learned it from you. Right. Where are they going to learn respect mm-hmm. from you? So the more we can respectfully speak to our children, and then when they don't speak to us respectfully, them, we can you know clearly say to them. I don't treat you that way, and my expectation is you wouldn't treat me that way, right. that you would respect me. So respect is a huge thing that we have to uh, teach with our kids. And then just another thing is this. So if your child came home one day with a C on their forehead and you knew they had cancer, mm-hmm. you would call every person you knew. It'd be on Facebook. It'd be on your Twitter. You'd do everything to find out who's the best doctor, who should I call, what should I do. Am I right? Mm-hmm. But if your child comes home one day and they have an A on their forehead because they have an addiction, who do you tell? Great point, right? You don't I mean, tell who, anyone. Yeah. Sure. And we have to get the message clearly across to parents yeah. that addiction is a disease that's greater than they have the ability to treat. Yeah. Critical point. They need to yeah. reach out and get that help. Right. That's right. No one loves their child more than you do as a parent. Make sure that they know that. Right. Well, that's really an important point, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, parents, I think when it comes to other illnesses, you know, we know what the network of support looks like, right? You've got right. a doctor, you have a hospital, you have clinics, you have friends and family, people send flowers, balloons, and then, you know, but then, you know, when your child comes home stumbling drunk or you realize they've been, you know, um, they've been experimenting and missing class and, you know, um, they're getting in trouble, you know, nobody wants to report out that kind of information, right? Nobody wants to share that. It's embarrassing. It feels shameful. Exactly. And then, and so, and so how do you, how as a parent do you then take that, that situation and turn it around, you know? And I think what you're saying is, you know, think about that other model. Reach, find, find out where you can reach out for help uh, that feels safe and, and that feels, um, you know, and to acknowledge that, you know, this is bigger than just what's going on between you and your child. Absolutely. Right? And the more of us that can do that, the more we change the stigma, the more we say addiction is a disease that is greater than I have the ability to treat. I would never try to treat cancer at home, right? right? I wouldn't try to shove it under right. the rug. I would do everything I could. So, I mean, I just think connecting that, those two to, to, for parents to realize that they, they need to reach out for help. Obviously, their school is a great place. I mean, the school, you know, some people who teach don't teach because they're in it for the money, I mean, you know, the majority of your teachers are there because they really care, and your guidance counselors and, and your principals. I mean, they're working really hard to make a difference in your child's life, and you need to work equally as hard to, to help right. them. Right. Well, I think, uh, you know, and it sounds like really you, you're advocating a position of being just having open discussion and transparency with your children about uh, the dangers and about um, what's expected and, you know, um, you know, what your expectation is of them when it comes to uh, exposure to alcohol and drugs. And giving them a way out. So this is another little trick that I use and I teach a lot, and that is you need to have a safe word with your child. If, right. if they find themselves in a position where they're at a party and they're not comfortable, 
They, right. Your agreement with your child is they can call you and they can use the safe word. And right. you will say to them, are you okay? Do I need to call 911? And you'll get the answer from them. And if not, you will leave whatever you're doing, wherever you are, and you will go get them. No questions right. asked. That's right. They call well, with the um, safe word. Go ahead. Oh, they call with the safe word, and you're, and you're on it. You understand. You practice it at home. You know what it means. That way, if they find themselves in a position where they don't want to be there or they are uncomfortable, they can save face. They're not going to tell their friends, I'm really uncomfortable in this position, so I'm going to call my parents to come and get me. But they can call the parents and say, you know that migraine I've been struggling with? It's just come back. You need to come get me. Right. Well, Jan, I think that's really great advice, and uh, unfortunately, we're, our show is running out of time today, but um, is there anywhere that people can go to find a little bit more information about this? Absolutely. HanleyCenterFoundation.org or Hanley Center Foundation. Find us on Facebook and like our page. We, we post a lot of great articles there, and we would love to have your input and love you ha- to have you like our page and share it. Wonderful. Again, Jan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I I thought it was a great discussion. And um, for all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on One Hour at a Time, Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Hope you all have a great week. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.